Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. This episode begins with an opening story from Alicia Puig, who shares an essay she stumbled upon that made her slow down and remember art's important role in society. Here's Alicia. My name is Alicia Puig, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of the online art gallery PXP Contemporary and the co-author of the recently published book, The Complete Smartest Guide, Essential Business and Career Tips for Emerging Artists. As you might imagine from the scope of my work, I love to read about art. While I enjoyed discovering new artists and learning about current market trends, it was an essay called Art's Secret Desire by Showfield's curator, Tam Grin, that recently made me pause and consider the role of art in our society, especially now. Here's an excerpt. People say art is subjective, and I disagree. Art is not subjective. Beauty and aesthetics are. Art is only good and valuable if it is in the right context, but... How do you know if it is in the right context? I trust you can know when something is true to its time and important now. The following examples of right context are directly related to what is important for us, therefore related to our emotions and desires. The artwork captures a moment in history, a pandemic, a social movement, a natural disaster. It is political, it is risky, it is ballsy, it is critical, and it has opinions. It is taboo. It makes you uncomfortable in all the right ways. It is innovative. You hadn't really thought of it that way. It has never been done before. You've seen many paintings, sculptures, installations in your time, but never really quite like this one. It is conceptual, straightforward and literal. It uses visual language to explain an idea which you can understand right away. It is true to its time, to its identity, and to its place. This is me begging you, please do not try to imitate or glorify the past. Pretty art with no conceptual backup is nice to put above your sofa, but really no one is going to give it a second thought. In conclusion, what art really wants is to be our generational legacy. Whether you're a young creative exploring your voice, an enthusiast, a collector, or just someone who wants to experience art without feeling intimidated, the key is to look at art through the lens of what you care about. What are your values and ideals for the world? With this perspective, you will find the art that speaks directly to you. Thank you so much again to Alicia for sharing. Again, the excerpt she read was from the essay Art Secret Desire by Tam Grin. Now here's my conversation with Lindsay Adams. Art imitates life, and it also inspires new ways of looking at the world. The advent of the digital age has created a new palette for artists to make their mark on a scale unlike ever before. Lindsay Adams is among these boundary-pushing creatives, and she has captivated the digital world with her art and her story. 
At first glance, there is a calming quality to Lindsay's work. Color and texture come together to create eye-catching visuals. But aesthetic details aside, Lindsay's art also aptly captures the nuances and complexities of life in this day and age. For Lindsay, art is both a respite and a runway to inspire introspection and conversation. And this duality has been especially important to Lindsay as she navigates work in art, advocacy, and everything in between. And in this conversation, Lindsay shared more about her relationship with art, how creativity has catalyzed her work as a disability advocate, and what she's learned about the power of storytelling when connecting with others and with herself. There were so many gems in this conversation, so I won't give too much more away. And with that said, here's my conversation with artist and advocate, Lindsay Adams. I'm Lindsay Adams. I am an artist, I guess, in my essence. And of course, that comes off and with different mediums via visual art, written art. And that's not technically my profession. Well, it's not my main profession. I'm really passionate about advocacy and storytelling. So I'm so thrilled to be here on Slow Stories with Rachel, who's also passionate about storytelling and connecting people with each other, connecting experiences. And I think in my essence, I think that is very much who I am and, and what I'm passionate about, like connecting and kind of coming together. So that's just a bit about me. I live in Washington, D.C. I was born in Washington, D.C. and raised in Maryland. I love painting. I love yoga. I love spending time with friends and family. I love to read. Um, and just constantly like on a quest to learn and, and hear from others. Yeah, I love all of those things too. And I think to your point about reading, obviously that aligns so much with the storytelling themes that we explore on this podcast. And so I'm curious, as you kind of go through this time, if there's been a particular story, whether it's an article, a poem, or a book that has made you slow down recently, or even re-inspired how you approach your art. So initially, when um, everything had started, I... I felt like I had more time on my hands, but I feel like I had these goals to tackle some books and things like that. That was ultimately um, replaced with painting, you know, and some writing. But I, I feel like I've been consuming a lot of information, you know, and just reading different stories that either I've been have come across like email or me just kind of going into diving into um, different responses to things, but. Recently, I um, and I guess this was Labor, right before Labor Day weekend, I went to the getaway house. Like I went to the one like outside of here in D.C. and it's in Noah Valley. And I was able to pick up a book, like a leisure book, for the first time in ever. And it was The Other West More. Um, I'm not finished with it yet, but I started reading it, and it was really interesting to start kind of dive into the backstory. And I don't know if people are familiar with the other Westmore, but it's a book by an African-American writer who's a Rhodes Scholar, and his name is also Westmore. And he's telling this story of um, one of his like counterparts who we didn't know, who also had the name Westmore, who sort of went on a complete completely different trajectory of his life and ended up being in jail for like 
I don't remember exactly how long that he was sentenced, but he sort of lived this whole living to deadly they both didn't have their fathers. The Westmore who's the writer, his father passed away. Um, and the other Westmore just didn't have a pleasant father in his life. So as I began sort of diving into the book, what I'm always sort of interested in seeing and observing the duality of things and to see how he began to unpack the parallels of their similarities as well as the differences of when they both kind of had those points where they could make one decision or the other. It really got me thinking about like circumstance and an environment, you know, and how like that can impact and does impact people's responses to things, uh, the decisions that they make and just in general about sort of the life path that they tend to go on. It's fascinating. I've been reading a lot of stories that I think speak to your point about capturing moments in time in very particular environments. I'm I'm just waiting to see what storytelling looks like when we look back on this particular moment in history, you know, five, ten years from now. I'm sure that'll be a wild reading experience. But that sounds really interesting. And I think kind of speaking to some of the dualities and kind of coming to terms with different aspects of identity and place to kind of speak more to your story, it would be great to kind of give our listeners just a little overview of your overarching kind of relationship with art and creativity and how it's, you know, informed other aspects of your life. I mean, obviously, I've always been an artist and have had art as a significant part of my life since I was I guess, maybe four years old or so. So I've been drawing and painting in various capacities for a very long time. So it's very much been a part of me and it sort of had its foundation in kind of who I've grown into and sort of from childhood to adulthood. And I think initially it was just something that I really enjoyed. I was always doodling in my notebooks at school um, and it was always sort of a relief for me just addressing on how it's played this well and kind of who I am, its impact on my life. Um, I don't think, of course, in childhood or even when I first started painting. I didn't start painting until I was like a teenager. Um, before that, I was just drawing and um, had done some pastel work, but it was mainly just drawing. And I had an art teacher at the school I went to who had this conversation with my mother about how art was really such a release. For me, um, and how it really offered me peace in the midst of chaos or struggle, you know. And I I was born with cerebral palsy. I was born two months earlier than my baby. Um, and I was two pounds, 12 ounces, and the CP, cerebral palsy. So it comes with, um like, a significant amount of motor skill delays. So initially, I had gone through physical occupational therapy and I think as a child I definitely had a sense of like feeling not quite an outsider because I think my community and my family definitely like embraced me but I think unpacking and trying to understand what this disability look like especially because I had a quote-unquote mild case it's not evident you know and um I think that that offers like some complexity internally and, you know, and some frustration about how I sort of confront, like, when my uh, sort of CP or town that are more evident than other times. 
Time everything art has been a way for me to sort of release and express these kind of nuances of that intersection of um, not only being a woman with a disability, but also being a black woman. And I've been able to pour my soul out in different ways through these different mediums. And no, I feel like I can confidently say I'm Lindsay the artist. Like, yes, professionally, I'm in marketing strategy right now. Um, and I was in communications before. And the writing has been a part of my life just as long as long and painting has. But it's like now I can say this is my me giving back to kind of the earth what has been given to me, especially because it's so serendipitous and such a blessing that I'm able to even use my hands the way that I can. And I think I've only been at the place of not taking that for granted, you know, and really kind of using it to share with others and, and, to, and to kind of learn from others as well in a way that I don't think I necessarily did before because that's something I kept in my back pocket and now it's something that I'm so proud of and I really just don't take it for granted, so. It's so interesting. A lot of the people that I, you know, interviewed over the years and chatted with, it's the thing that has the most profound impact on their life or something that's so inherent to them that they quote unquote keep in their back pocket so interesting how we we keep those things close when it's the thing that has the power to kind of connect the most but I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier the environments that we're in and like how we're kind of conditioned to present ourselves and exist in spaces that in a lot of ways at least you know kind of speaking to the digital influence on how we live and work it's almost created this prioritization of pace versus performance and so I like to ask this question particularly to creative people you know as we've kind of navigated such a tumultuous year I'm curious how your relationship with pace has changed and how it's impacted your interest in art how that process sort of comes to life as a result of this shift in pace yeah um I think that slowing down is definitely something that I am in the process of leaning into, you know, and I've definitely been forced to do so living in a pandemic and just all the other like crazy things that tend to be happening on any given day. But I think it was definitely something that I was in tune with before, but like I would just make time to slow down when I absolutely had to, you know, I mean, I had a demanding, demanding job, a lot of things I always had to get done. And I had set these goals for myself artistically at the end of the year. And I think that achieving these goals or like developing this body of work, not the quarantine chronicles that most people see, but like kind of these other kind of slower bodies of work that require more of my time was going to take that kind of slowing down and really just kind of sitting and being okay with it having phases, you know, or kind of like an intuitive um, piece. So I definitely think I've been, like, especially when COVID first started, I definitely, like, just felt like, okay, slow down, figure out what you want to do. And then things picked up so quickly as the art started to pick up. And now I feel like I don't really see um, the art slowing down, which is a great thing. And I'm, I'm so happy about that. But I'm definitely at the place, and I was just talking to my partner about this, where I feel like, I have to make time for the peace, you know, and I have to make time for the self-care because if I don't, 
you know, I won't be able to, to do all these other great things that I want to do. I won't be able to kind of have the impact and the influence that I would like to if I don't take care of myself, if I don't take care of my home, and home being like both the dwelling space and just the essence of it. So I'm definitely like kind of in this new kind of recenter of the recenter to say, okay, this is the new pace of life. This is kind of what you know you have coming, and this is what's on your radar. This is what you want to do. This is what you have to do. But also find that kind of happy medium and that balance of taking care of, you know, myself, my relationship, and just, like, the things that really will always be there at the core. Absolutely. My grandmother is an artist, and... I just spoke to her yesterday and she was telling me that she's been painting over a lot of her older pieces, not because she doesn't like them, but just because she feels a sense of urgency to return to them and kind of start anew. And I'm curious, you know, as we kind of slow down to think about what's important to us creatively, do you find yourself going back to older work and revisiting it in some way? Maybe not completely scrapping it, but kind of iterating? I definitely think I've been looking at older work from two different lenses lately, especially because I think I've been creating this year much more than I ever have, like truly in my, I mean, I don't have the best memory, but in my recent knowledge of self, this is the most I've created ever. I mean, even when I was like at a professional training, like in fine art in school, it still wasn't this much, you know, it was maybe five or six big projects in a, um, in a semester or so. That I also just can't remember. But I do know that this is the most I've ever created consecutively, and this is the most consistent I've been. So I've been looking at older work from two different lenses. I want to see, oh, look at the progression. You know, look at how you um, have honed in on your style. You know, look at how you've added on to different pieces over the years. And I've also been, of course, revisiting some of the older illustrations I've done and kind of like reimagining them, you know, adding my new kind of flair to it. But I think I've looked at, in in a third way, I think I've looked at my historical portfolio, you know, and sort of body of work of saying, okay, these are the things I want to stay with me. You know, these are the things I want to keep doing. So the techniques I want to make sure I'm still um, visible throughout my work, kind of bring it all together to tell the overall story. I haven't picked up anything old and added to it, but I have kind of redone it, you know, or took like a particular style and kind of amplified it in a sense. Yeah, there's never been a better time to revisit work. And I think on the subject of that, You know, one of the questions that I always like to ask since Slow Stories is all about exploring slowing down in our digital age is really understanding at the core what each of my guests' work is about and what stories they're trying to tell. And then to add on to that, what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to them. So for you, what does slow storytelling mean to you in your art practice or even in your writing? And why do you think it's important? Slow storytelling to me means like really giving yourself the grace and the space to evolve. You know, I think 
especially in that writing and, and the storytelling, like similar to what we were saying earlier about pulling from different experiences, pulling from different gazes, I think it definitely kind of just shows itself as kind of being okay with the process of it all and the building and the and the undoing, you know, and the coming back. And I think that's kind of what slow storytelling is, and it's definitely has become so much a part of, like, um, how I'm looking at things, even in the digital age that is so fast-moving, you know, whether it be a trend or a story, everything moves so fast. Just being okay that, like, wanting to be relevant and wanting to, like, connect with an audience or community doesn't mean that you have to be fast news, you know, or or the next best thing or the thing that's so hot right now. It's really just kind of leaning into the fact that if I'm being my authentic self, you know, and if I'm putting my true self into the work, then it's going to be good either way. You know, it doesn't matter if it came out on, on the day that it could have gotten the highest engagement. You know, it's like, of course, like as a marketer, you know, and, and I'm looking at things sometimes a wider scope of like wanting to have the sort of a high impact, you know, on, and make sure that my stories and art can go as far as I would hope them to go. It's also okay to, to move at my own pace. And I think that like kind of slow storytelling and slowing down is so important to me, especially with having cerebral palsy. It's kind of crazy because it's like the opposite of who I am at my core. You know, I feel like I've always kind of wanted to move fast or felt like I had to move fast, whether it be because it's like I'm trying to keep up with how fast everyone else is moving. It's like, oh, I want to like be able to move as fast as, you know, what I see my friends do, but it's like, I perform my best work and I am my best self when I'm taking my time. And I was just talking about this with my partner and he's like, okay, when you take your time, even though taking your time can feel annoying or you just feel like your thoughts are moving faster than than your mouth can or your ideas are moving faster than your hands can, it's really the best value of work that really encompasses all of me when I can take that time, think it through. Obviously, with some projects, you know, I'm not going to have that option of like, oh, let me think on this for a hundred years. (laughs) But like, I'm learning that it's so okay, you know, and yeah, it gets frustrating, yeah, it gets so annoying, especially like even like with walking down the steps. Now, I could be running down the steps and my partner will get out the handrail, you know, like, okay, like, you know, like, you just, take my time, the bottom of the steps is not going anywhere, you know, so it's it's just definitely something that I'm learning to understand the importance and the impact of just, like, taking my time with things, and, but it's definitely a work in, in progress for me about being okay with that, and when I forget, just taking the time to, to remind myself um, and really give myself that grace and space to, um, you know, to just be. I think that's all any of us can really do. It's just, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm personally in a day-by-day sort of mode, and some days might require a shift in pace to go a little bit faster. Others, I might need to just retreat into this slow solitude and, and figure out how I'm feeling and how that's going to impact what I'm doing for the day. And I'm curious too, you know, as we talk about slowing down, Obviously, we've chatted about how that's influenced your work, but 
in your role or in your passion for advocacy around CP, do you find yourself talking about pace at all? Or what are some narratives that maybe you didn't expect to come up in those conversations that you were surprised have arisen or happy that people are speaking about more? Talk to me a little bit more about that side of your work. So I think that pace has definitely come up in some of the least obvious ways. Um, if that makes sense, it's like, so me talking about my cerebral palsy and my passion for advocacy, it's not a new thing for me. I've been doing it for like a few years now, but it's like new in the sense of like in the span of my 30 years, you know, like this is kind of when I started telling this story. I think it definitely comes up sometimes in a sense of the fact that it's like, it's not evident that I have CP, you know? So when I'm when I'm talking about my passion for disability inclusion and diversity and inclusion and just awareness that like, hey, this community that I'm also a part of needs to be heard. Disabilities can look a million different ways. You know, it could be cognitive, it could be physical, you know, it could be it could be so many different things. It can be a speech impairment, it could be a hearing impairment. So it's like in essence, I think sometimes to connect with the disability community or the community with different abilities, you really do have to slow down, you know, and take your time to listen and understand because it's not a part of the daily gaze, you know. It's not a part of the initial thought. It's something that we kind of have to implement when we look at accessibility, inclusion. It's like, oh, we know that we want women, you know, that we want people of color. It's like, okay. I am both of those things. So it's like, those are the first things that you see of me. But it's like, also, how do we include awareness and inclusion of of the disability um, community? And I think that's really where my advocacy comes in. This is why storytelling is so important. You know, I even said in the Just Fab interview that I was telling you about that, I said that no one can tell a Black woman's story better than a Black woman, which is definitely true, and I stand by that 125%. But it's the same with being a part of the disability community. Because I am a part of this community, and I can also speak up about it and explain to you what I'm thinking, explain to you what I'm feeling about, like, when I'm struggling, what things are easy. It's like, it's pace, you know, it's... Being okay with sitting down, being willing to change your mind about something, but learn about something that's unfamiliar. Yeah. And I think a big kind of role that people who are listening play is to create that space to slow down and actually pay attention. Right now, what we're seeing across many conversations in this country, at least, is a shift from being reactive to proactive and really making sure that, yes, we're being involved in these conversations when, you know, it's appropriate, but creating that space to actually slow down and hear what people are saying to then be able to respond more thoughtfully or even to pose more questions in a way that invites conversation is so important. And that's something that I've really been aware of as somebody who interviews a lot of people, really making sure that there is that give and take in a conversation. And so I think, you know, with that in mind, as you kind of engage in more of these narratives, is there a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often, especially as we kind of move towards the end of this very challenging year overall? 
I think that when I think I want to start by saying that asking questions or being okay with asking a question that about something that you don't understand or that you don't know or is like unfamiliar and uncomfortable is very uncomfortable, you know. And it's like I understand that because you know I don't always want to ask questions that you know I'm unsure about, but it's like there won't be any further conversation or understanding if the question isn't asked. So I can't say that there's one question, you know? I think I just hope that people become more okay with asking a question, you know, of just saying, hey, maybe it's as simple as, oh, I just learned about this. What is this like? Because I think one of the other nuances of being in, like, a disenfranchised intersection, whether it be a woman, me being a black woman or me having a disability, is that, I mean, of course, so you probably understand this 100%, that you don't always want to be in education mode, you know? You don't always want to explain yourself or have to, like, make someone else comfortable with, like, your presence or, or your gifts, you know? So it's, like, find that balance of, like, People just being willing to have a conversation and not just looking for a quick and easy answer to like, check a box, you know, or saying like, oh yeah, I am. Um, I, I mean, I think there's, there's different ways that this can play out, but like, like when it came to um, Black Lives Matter, it's like, I don't necessarily want to have to always give like a list of books, you know, or, or things to consider, but it's like, I want there to be an open platform where we can really have the conversation, you know, where we can be transparent and um and open to learning. And that's just like a quick like, oh, how can I get a quick fit for learning how to be anti racist? You know? If you, do you understand what I mean by, by that? Being okay with asking a question even if you're unsure of the answer. And it's like that takes vulnerability on both ends, you know? And it takes humility patience and understanding on both sides obviously I understand why people get frustrated you know I understand why it's like like how many times like it's like when people ask me about my speech impediment it's not often but when they do of course I think when I was younger I would just get frustrated and now it's like well if I don't pick up on the fact that they are coming from a negative or judgmental space and they really want to understand and they're being authentic. And I have no problem with answering. You know, I have I have no problem with engaging. But obviously we know that that's not always going to be the scope. You know, it's, sometimes these questions are going to come from a place of ignorance. And just being able to walk through that or kind of know what those boundaries are on both ends is I think will, will kind of give us the space to really start to have more conversations where we can learn. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like by saying all that, I think it did kind of bring me back to maybe one question that I think could be most helpful, yeah. um, which might be like, how can we work together to implement X change? I completely agree. And that's why I'm always interested to see what people say in response to this particular question. I've mentioned this in other interviews, but we've become so conditioned to sort of show up or present ourselves in certain lights. And I, I hope that this question kind of gives people permission to be like, I want to also be asked about this aspect versus you just honing in and on something that you might assume is the core part of who I am. So yeah, it's... It's definitely a time 
to go there in terms of asking those questions. And I'm certainly, I've been posing a lot of what you're saying to myself, because I think as someone in a position of privilege, you know, as a white woman, the work for me at least starts there. But I appreciate your your willingness to answer that and to engage in some of these dialogues. I think it's a path forward. So I'm also curious to, you know, if you've kind of looked at your work or your role as an artist as a way to kind of facilitate those opportunities to have these exchanges. I definitely think that every part of my essence kind of works together to help facilitate connection and communication, whether it be via the art form of me writing articles or storytelling or whether it be the more visual art mediums, you know, and I think that it definitely does facilitate conversation. I wasn't always open about having CP, you know? Mm-hmm. It was, and that's me also acknowledging a bit of privilege that I have had, you know, of a, it's not 100% evident, you know, it's not something that people can pinpoint, you know, that's CP or that's a disability. You know, some people have thought I was hearing impaired, or some people just thought I had a list, you know, but it wasn't really something that had to be frequently dissected or explained. And I think, of course, I was dealing with my own challenges, figuring out what my what my challenges have been or what areas I've struggled in and what areas I've excelled exceedingly at, you know, and kind of trying to find that balance in my understanding of, like, this is the nuance of having this type of case, you know, this is the nuance of being kind of what, the industry calls twice exceptional is what it's called double E kind of like in the academic realm where it's like a person might have a differing ability or towns or challenges with uh, certain areas or certain subject matters or processes on that same accord the, the person is highly intellectual and, and capable and I think that comes with a lot of nuance you know it comes with a lot of frustration that that people Psychologists, educators, sociologists are trying to understand. I'm not a, a psychologist or a sociologist. No, I'm just like a communicator who likes to learn things and likes to kind of help us all move forward. But I think that by me being okay with saying I have CP or me being okay with like speaking on my Black experience or my womanhood allows, to your point, allows for that, you know, and allows for that sort of movement and just connection in general. And it's, to be honest, it's all sometimes it's really scary, you know? Like, going into every room is not always a piece of cake, you know? And it's like, and often sometimes I feel like I um, and I can be stirring with the idea that I don't want all these beautiful things that I can create or... um my writing or, you know, my intellect or how I look on paper to validate my space in this room. You know, I don't want these wonderful out, like, even though I think, like, when people talk to me, they can kind of feel feel my soul, you know, in different ways. It's like, just often always thinking, like, okay, yes, I'm making this beautiful artwork. Yes, I'm writing these articles. Yes, I'm, being, I'm able to eloquently tell these stories in a way that people can understand and help facilitate a further conversation. 
But that is not what validates me being at this table, you know. These are not the things that validate, you know, people wanting to know what I think about things. And it's just dealing with that and kind of constantly wondering, but but not let it stop me. It's just like an ongoing process of of me understanding human humanhood or, you know, the the bigger picture of things. I hear you on that. I think just being able to be in those rooms too and to kind of show all sides of who you are and just kind of be, you know, I think it goes back to what I was saying about this performative element that has kind of shaped a generation. It's something I've had to check within myself, at least both online and offline, because it's especially prevalent, I think, in a professional context, but we really do have to kind of just get back to the core of being versus always doing or explaining or yeah it's definitely a recalibration that I think is happening across all aspects of life yeah I think that's it's a really important point and I think also it's like when we look at the kind of performative aspect of things it's like I like nice things, you know, I like creating beautiful things. As I know that, you, you know, you like beautiful things. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing, like when I get comments, like, oh, I, I love your aesthetics. You know, like, I love your art. I love, like, this whole thing. It's like, I'm totally okay with people coming for the art and staying for the Lindsay, you know? <laughs> and, and it's like being okay with, telling this story, you know, as I look forward to possible projects or when I, when I look into the direction of where I want my art to come, I'm really at the point of leaning into this is the whole story, you know, this is all of me and all of this stuff is important. It's important for me to touch on. It's an entire package thing, you know, it's not just the, oh, let's see the beautiful fine artist, whitest, who dresses well. You know, it's not that. You know, it's like, yes, it's that. And she sometimes falls down the steps. And she spills her coffee often because of her CP. And it's like, just like that embracing is something that I'm doing with myself. I'm really holding myself dearly in a way that I have to, to move forward. And then just, it kind of sets the tone for also how people treat me and learn how to treat others, not just who have a disability or anything as evident as that, but people who are different from them. It allows for that conversation and that storytelling on both ends for them to say something about themselves that might not be as evident. Absolutely. Again, to to really be able to show up and embrace other people's stories and share your own. I think a lot of what we're unlearning right now is to remove ourselves from the distractions of what we're taught is success or happiness. And again, in this kind of digital context, a lot of that is perpetuated by content and by stories that aren't quite finished, I don't think. And so, you know, we've talked about so much in this conversation, but I think to kind of bring it all full circle, based on what you've learned from your art, from your advocacy, from your story, and from yourself, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? Slowing down our reaction and relationship to content is important because if we kind of 
invites the fact that content will always be there, you know? It's like, content is not going anywhere. This is the age that we live in. This is how we get our information. This is how we are communicating. So that is not going anywhere. But what is a little more fragile is the essence of ourselves, you know? It is our peace. It's our health, you know, and it's our mental. So really kind of learning to embrace that and even embracing the fact that it contradicts everything else that's going on, I think will ensure that we're showing up for ourselves in the best way possible and that we're showing up for others in the best way possible by just understanding like what it is and understanding that just because this is how fast content is moving and this is what the digital age looks like and this is what the internet looks like, it does not mean that we have to let it consume us. That was fine artist and disability advocate, Lindsay Adams. Visit Lindsay's website at lindsay-adams.com where you can see and shop her art. Also be sure to follow Lindsay on social media at Adams. Stay tuned as we'll be sharing highlights from this episode on our own social platforms at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman and you've been listening to Slow Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in.